Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. Uh, and so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to see all you guys. Um, I, this is what I believe. I believe that everybody that should be here is here. Um, there are a lot of preachers that would come in on a, in a church plan, I've, and I forget for saying it because I know that I have, but I've, I've come in and, I, and I've, I've said, you know, look, because Ben was a church planner, and you'd come in and go down, listen, this chair represents a life that should be here today. Each chair, this chair represents a life. And this, yeah, right, this chair represents a life. And, this, and we came in and we prayed over those chairs. So either God doesn't answer your prayers or everybody that should be here is here because those are his options. So I believe that he brought you here on assignment, not just me. Not just me on assignment, but you on assignment. Uh, we, uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about spiritual laws. I, I mentioned earlier the law of agreement. You know, spiritual laws are a lot like physical laws in that the kingdom, the government that establishes them don't care if you know the laws or not. If I go running down in Wade Hampton through Taylor's in my uh, car doing 110 on Wade Hampton, I'm getting pulled over whether or not I saw the stop sign or not. That's, that's inconsequential to what the, the penalty that's coming I have to obey the law. The, the government has set the, the city of Taylor's up so that there are foundational laws that must be obeyed. Now, the Lord did the same thing with spiritual laws. Spiritual laws operate just like physical, natural laws, not even governmental laws, but natural laws like gravity. You know gravity is keeping you in chairs right now. It's keeping you stuck to the ground at 32 feet per second per second right now. If you jump out of an airplane, you cannot fly. You can't. And it's not so much the falling, but that stop at the end will get you every time. And the problem with gravity is that it doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you're a believer. It doesn't care if you're part of the secular world. It doesn't care if you're Hindu, Muslim, agnostic, atheist. The law is the law, and the law applies to everyone. Now, spiritual laws operate the exact same way. See, the world misunderstands it, and they rename it, but they don't get to just co-opt our, our laws. Our laws are governing and binding the universe. So we have the law of faith. The world calls that the law of manifestation. Oprah's got some books about it. Don't read them. Um, and Oprah, if you see this online, don't get mad at me and cancel me. Uh, but it could happen. The Internet's a weird space. I said Oprah. The NSA probably heard it and sent it to her right now. Um, here's the problem. So she calls it manifestation. You put out into the universe. You say what you want, and it comes back to you. And that has become so popular. You know why it's so popular? Because it works. The world is getting what they're saying. And so they believe it because they're seeing the evidence of it. Because spiritual law does not care what government you belong to. Does it care where your passport is stamped? You live in the, the universe that God created, so you're bound by his spiritual law. Another, another law uh, the world calls karma. What you put out comes back to you. The Bible calls that the law of reciprocity. Give, and it will be given to you. So we have spiritual laws. One of my favorite spiritual laws is, I, 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 this doesn't have a name. I, I like to call it the law of the small 
the Bible over and over and over in lots of different stories talks about small things. And it talks about some things that happen for small things. So, so like, for example, and this is, is not part of the message, but I'll, just, I'll run you through some stuff. So, for example, it says um, when uh, they are rebuilding the wall in, in Habakkuk, they're rebuilding the wall uh, for Israel. They've come back out of Babylon. The king of Babylon has given them all these things and said, yes, you can get cedar trees from here. You can get bricks from here. Go get all this stuff. You've got all this favor with the king. They've come back now. They're building the wall, and uh, their enemies start saying, look what a little wall. Look what a little, how's that going to stop anything? And the foreman and the prophet looks at his people and says, do not decide a day of small beginnings. Don't look down on it because it's little. Because what you can't see is the future, right? Because you can't see the future. Now, I will tell you that as I read the Bible, I see two things. Always about things that are small. So let me ask you guys a question. We'll get started this way. Why are things small? Anybody? I mean, this, is, this is the interactive portion of the, of the event. So why are things small? Here, I'll give you the first one. Because they're actually small. That help? Because they're small. Because they're small. Now, that is always a matter of perspective. Because things that are small to me are not small to my kids. And things that are small from the moon are not small, right? So like if, I, if I'm, our earth is huge. I, I think the earth is big compared to Saturn. It's not. Comparison and perspective determine whether something is actually small. What's the second reason? There's only two. What's the second one? Anybody? Because it hasn't grown yet? No, see, then it's still small. Here's the other one. Here's the other one. I'll tell you. Because it's far away. Because it's far away. Now, I can stand in my front yard and cover up the moon with my thumb. Because if I put something between, any little tiny distraction in between myself and something that's huge but far away, I can blind it. I can stop seeing it. And we treat the will of God who's far from us and we haven't walked into it yet like it's little. And the scary thing about that is in life, if you put any little thing in front of the thing that's far away, you can completely miss the thing that's far away. So there's the law of small. Things are small because they're actually small, which is always a matter of perspective or because they're far away. We're going to deal with both of them today. I believe that God sent me here to challenge you in three areas. I believe that God wants to change your perspective and your position. He wants to change how you see small things and he wants to move you out from behind the thing that may be clouding what's not to you yet or move closer to you in this moment. I think he wants to fix your perspective and your position on three areas. He wants to talk about yourself, your enemy, and your God, and we're going to cover those real quick, and then we're going to go back into worship because I believe the response to what you just said is if you want more, you're about to get it, and when you get it, you got to do something with it. Isaiah 6, Isaiah goes to the throne of God in a vision, and he's in the presence of God, and nobody speaks a word, and all he has is worship. He's in the throne room of God. He has this vision of God. Three angels. He's not even the one worshiping. He co-opted someone else's worship. If you were here this morning and you are like, this is a little weird, then co-opt the person next to you because they were feeling it. But he heard the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He realizes where he's at, and he says this amazing thing. He repents immediately. 
He thinks he's going to explode. He says, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live a bunch of people with unclean lips. I'm going to die. Because if you get truly into the presence of God, then that's all you need. You have to respond. You have to respond. And then God says, go cleanse him. They take tongs from the altar. The Bible says that the word of God is on the altar before him all day. So he took, he took the place, the word, and he took it to the point of sin, and he touched his lips with the word. I believe that in the next few minutes, that what, what God wants to do is take his word directly to the place that needs correction and correct it. And when that happens, we're not done. Because when God corrected Isaiah, when God cleansed Isaiah, Isaiah said, what do I do now? And God looked around and said, who will go for us and who shall I send? And he said, here am I. Here am I. I believe that if you have worship and you have God's presence and you ask for more, and then he says, I'm going to give you the word and touch the place of need, and then you've got to respond. And so doing one closing song, taking up an offering and leaving is not response. And so I, we didn't, by the way, even talk about this. So it wasn't like I crafted this as an event we've never ministered before together. <laughs> like, I literally told them, I'd sitting on a couch two nights ago, three nights ago, like, we'll do whatever God says, but plan to sing, and we'll figure it out. Because I believe that this is the prescribed method, the spiritual law of progress working itself out. Progress happens with presence and repentance and then commissioning, always. And that's, that's, the, that's how God moves us from place to place. That's a spiritual law that right now, whether you know it or not. So listen to this. I want to talk to you guys about yourselves first. There's this story in Numbers, and I'll read you some of it. Uh, I, I tend to get long-winded, and I don't really have a lot of notes, but I do want to read you three verses. Numbers 13, I'll set it up. So Moses has gotten to the promised land. He's on the edge of the promised land. And he goes, we, you know, we should probably spy out the promised land. Let's check it out. So he sends these guys over, these 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb are in the group. They come back with this report, and this is what they say. 13, this is verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 31 of Numbers. It says, but the men who had gone with him said, we can't attack these people. They are too strong for us. So they begin to spread lies, lies. Oh my gosh, we gonna, I don't even have time for that verse. So they spread lies among the Israelites about the land they had explored. They said, the land is one that devours those who live there. All the people saw it very tall. We saw, we saw Nephilim there. We, 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 looked, we looked to ourselves. This is a good verse. We felt as small as grasshoppers. Guess what we look like to them? We felt like grasshoppers. See, I believe God wants to change our perspective of ourselves because when we get on the edge of God's blessing and we look across the border into our future and we see how hard it's going to be to get it, we don't go, God, make it easier. We don't say, God, is it worth it? We say, God, look at us. Now think about this. These people, this is the craziest thing. They just left Egypt. 
They just left Egypt. They have an entire generation. They left Egypt. The strongest nation on the planet, the richest nation on the planet, and they watched the God that they serve bury an entire army in the Red Sea. And, it, and it, they wiped out an entire army, and they're worried about four or five little countries? It makes no sense. They, not only did they do that, that they went on this really long journey where every morning they woke up and there was food on the ground. Every morning they picked up baskets of food, and every night it would disappear and rot, and every morning God would give them more food. He sustained them on this like, big field trip for, for 40 years. Like God is doing so much where he's moving the Israelites in and out of all this and in and out of all this safety and in and just to show, hey, this is who I am to you. And then they get there and say, but God, this is who we are to them. And I will be the first to say that I've done that too many times. Moving from church to church, career to career, position to position, and, and going, God, but this is who I am to them. They, they, they're all Ivy Leaguers, God, and I don't even have a college degree. This is who I am to them. God, but God's going, but no, but what about who I am to you? God wants to fix your perspective. There's a, there's a great story. It's one of my favorites. Um, you guys heard, do you know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man, what's, y'all, y'all grew up in Bible school like me with a felt board and a little tiny Zacchaeus and a tree. Y'all didn't grow up in, I did. I grew up with a felt, I was the felt board generation. That was back before we had iPads. Y'all kids don't even know about some felt board. We had a, y'all, we had a board that they put cloth on. Can you believe that? Cloth. And then they cut characters out of more cloth. And I was mind blown. They, they stuck right to the cloth. They ain't use no tape. They didn't use thumbtacks or staples. It stuck. That was magic. I was in there in my Bible school class, mind blown. Y'all don't know nothing about a felt board. Sorry, that was that was way off topic. Zacchaeus. There's a story about Zacchaeus, and it's in. You can find it in chapter in chapter 19 of Luke, and it's this great. I'm gonna read y'all some of that too. So there's this story where Jesus is entering Jericho. And Jericho is a place of a mighty battle where walls had fallen down miraculously. Joshua walked around at seven days. He blew horns, and boom, everything came down. It was like the best big band concert in the history of big band. Y'all ain't a big fan of that either. I'm old. It's okay. So Jesus, and Jesus comes into Jericho in chapter 19 of Luke, and he, and he says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, just passing through. This wasn't even his stop. He's passing through. We, we pray a lot, Lord, come to me. He can get you on the pass-through. He, like, he, like, he can get you passing through. Like when we prayed earlier, like be our every day. Be always, with what Fred was saying, you can get in the rest. You don't always have to be chasing. He doesn't always have to stop. You can get it on the pass-through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. I love that they put both of those things in because he had money and position. Not just one or the other. He had both. He, was, he had a place of position and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He just, he wasn't a believer. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. Now I'm going to prove to you that spiritual law happens to the non-believer. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was going to come that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. 
I'm going to stay at your house today. So when he came down at once, he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now. This is so good. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times that amount. Ah, the presence of God generating repentance and the commission. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came and saved the lost. If we're going to have a change of perspective today, if we're going to change our lives, if we're going to change how we see small, if we're going to find out that we're not small, that we are the thing. Because listen, if the son of God is seeking you, then you're not small. The son of God, Jesus, on a pass-through said, I, I must come to your house. I wasn't even planning on stopping, but now something triggered Jesus. Like we talk about trigger warning, something triggered Jesus because the Bible says he was passing through and his plans changed because he saw Zacchaeus in a tree and it changed and he said, now I must come to your house. So what changed? What changed? What changed was Zacchaeus' perspective. When the the story starts, he was behind the crowd. He was in the crowd. He was around the crowd. But he said, I can never see Jesus in the crowd. He, He had a right perspective of himself. And he said, I'm too small amongst the crowd to get alone with God. So I'm going to run on ahead out of the crowd. I'm going to separate myself from the crowd. And I'm going to put myself in a position to notice and to be noticed. I'm glad nobody is in that seat. I just spit everywhere. That's the spout where the glory comes out, and they all got it. That was a life that should be now just playing. Just playing. Poor callback. Um, Zacchaeus got out of the crowd and put himself in a position to see and be seen by the Lord. He, He said, I'm small. He is not. And he got out of the crowd, and he climbed up in a tree climbed in a tree and he changed his, his uh, I can't say that word, perspective. The second thing he did is he changed his position. He changed his position. Even if you stay still and the Lord's passing by, but you're not able to be seen, it does not matter where you are. If you are in a place of comfort in life, if you are Things are good. Ben asked me earlier, how are things? And I said, man, some things are good. Like, things are good. And then I just began to weep. I said, but there's this thing. But there's this thing, right? It is very easy to be in a position of comfort where things are going generally good in life and miss Jesus. It's, it's in this moment right now that I, I really, we were, we were talking about this just a second ago, and I won't tell y'all what it is because it ain't none of y'all's business, but I was weeping to have been a second ago before worship, and right now in this moment as I'm preaching to you, my assignment is touching me because I am grateful for the thing that's keeping me seeking Jesus instead of letting me be content. So he changed his perspective, then he changed his position. He ran ahead, and he elevated himself. He out of the crowd, and he climbed a tree. This is the third thing he changed, and this is the third thing you have to change as we deal with ourselves. He changed his posture. 
The Bible says that when, it was, when his name was called, he came down immediately. Immediately. I don't, it's an old preacher thing to say, how many of you, do you, how many of you know? But how many of you know that the posture of obedience and the posture of sin are not the same? As a matter of fact, you can't, there are some things you can't do without proper posture. You can't swing a golf club if the ball's behind you, that your posture won't allow it. You, you can't feel the grounder standing up. Your posture won't allow it. You have to bend it. You have to find a level of flexibility to do most anything. Because the posture of sin and the posture of obedience are diametrically opposed. He was living a life where he was cheating everyone. He was a chief tax collector. Not only was he the tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. Now, the Roman government didn't really care what you did as a tax collector as long as they got their money. So anything above and beyond what you collected was yours. And tax collectors would just take advantage of people. And they'd be like, hey, you know, the Roman government says you owe $5,000. And they only had a $1,000 tax bill. And they'd pocket four. And that's why people hated them. That's why when he got out of the tree, people called him a sinner. That's why people grumbled and complained. Because he doesn't deserve grace because he cheats us. And he'd been living years like that. And he was a small man. So I imagine... Because I was small growing up, he probably had little man's disease. So he probably really took advantage. Laugh at me about my short shorts. You pay in double next month. Laugh at me because I'm not strong as you. You pay in triple. People pro- See, he probably mistook their hatred for respect. Because they look a lot alike sometimes. Because if I'm scared of you and I hate you, I can never talk about you in front of you. And that looks like respect. So he was living a life of sin. And when Jesus called him by name, he got out of his tree. He came down, the Bible says, immediately and welcomed him gladly. Not Jesus welcoming him. He welcomed Jesus gladly. You expect that from the Lord. You don't expect that from this guy. He had a complete heart change at the sound of his name on our Savior's lips because he was willing to change his perspective, his position, and ultimately his posture. Second thing I think God wants us to deal with is our viewpoint, how we see our enemy. Because if anything has ever been actually small, It's him. I mean, actually small. One of my favorite, favorite quotes. I say it all the time. I tell my kids all the time. You do realize that the devil is just a mouse with a microphone. Like, he he only has one trick. He doesn't have a lot of weapons. He only has one. Lie. That's all he can do. That's the only only weapon. Did you know that the devil can't affect your health? He can, he can ask God to try you and see you come out the other side. And that's Job's story, right? But he can't touch your health. The enemy doesn't make us sick. 
Even, even they asked Jesus one time, he came up on a crippled man in his 20s, and they said, this man's been crippled since birth. Who sinned? He said, nobody sinned. He's crippled for God's glory. Get up. The enemy can't make you sick. You know, the enemy can't mess your finances up. You can, you, you can be undisciplined, but don't blame him. He didn't do it. He didn't, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Now, you can God, you can rob God and God can take his hand of blessing off your finances and then you can get real jacked up, but you did that. I, told, I had a conversation with my kid yesterday, my oldest, Jackson. I told him, I said, listen, you know what's funny to me? It's funny to me when we come up and we say, hey, listen, it's time to give. And we just want to say thank you because you guys are such a generous church. It ain't mine. It ain't yours. That's not generosity. Giving to God what already belongs to him is not generous. If you keep it, you're a thief. If you don't keep it, you're just a good person. If my neighbor's package shows up on my door and I take it over there, they're not ask me and thank me for being so generous. It's their package. It just came in a bundle. I get paid, but part of that is just a package getting delivered to the wrong house. I'm just returning back. The enemy does not have the power we think he has. He is actually small, not in comparison to us, but in comparison to the God who lives inside of us. Like, I've dealt with ridiculous spiritual things. Like, and listen, I'll just say it. I don't care. It's online. Y'all can think I'm weird. Like, we've, de- we've dealt in our church with demonic oppression and possession and all kinds of crazy stuff. And we've had people that we were like, are they schizophrenic? Or are they possessed? Is this a mental health issue or is it a spiritual issue? And the last time that happened, I sat face-to-face with a, with a young lady, and I said, listen, so let me explain something to you. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to command whatever is on you to leave. If you still act this way when I get done praying, it's up here. Because I believe that the God inside of me has all authority over the whatever is inside of her. I believe that I fast and I pray. So I believe that I don't know any other prescription for commanding demons. Because if Jesus didn't example it, then all I can do is follow it. He's little. He's actually small. But we give him so much credit. Can today, can we just all agree, can the whatever number of us just agree that today's the last day we give him credit for stuff that's not him? We do that because we don't want to take blame. The enemy has never attacked my marriage, not one time. I've been a terrible husband. I've been insensitive and uncaring and thoughtless, and that was not the enemy. That is me. The enemy, you know the enemy can't even make you sin? James says that when your own desires give birth to sin and carry you away, he's not even responsible for the stuff that keeps you from Jesus. That's why Romans 8 says, who can keep us out of his hand? 
You, only you. Only you. Nobody stops you. The enemy, is, the, the enemy is not on mission to keep you from Jesus. The enemy is on mission to keep you from believing that you can have Jesus. Because anything he tells you and you believe, because you're made in God's image and whatever he says happens, when you believe it, the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and anything you believe comes out of your mouth. And the moment it comes out of your mouth, you created whatever he you about. That's still you. Because he's actually small. Here's the last thing. And I'm excited about this thing. I was wondering how long this coat was going to stay on. It ain't going to be much longer. Y'all, the last thing God wants to fix is our perspective of him. Because it's easy to get in and say amen, ouch, and all the things that we have to say this morning about the fact that we need to change our perspective of ourselves and we need to change our perspective of the enemy. And that all sounds really good because it's like applicable. And oh, and I can have better positive thoughts about myself and I can quit blaming the enemy for everything. But it is another thing altogether to start realizing the magnitude of our God. The, the magnitude of our God, a God who, a, a God who his own presence, his own presence changes the, the molecular structure of things. Like when, when you're sick and you're in the hospital and we pray over you and the presence of God enters the room and cancer has to leave your body. The molecular the, a, a, a anatomy of your body changes because his presence and the power and the law of agreement and the power of the prayer of faith makes people well. It changes your anatomy. It changes the, the entire, the, the presence of God where Joshua would stand on steps and say, God, we, God, we got to keep fighting God. We got to keep fighting God. And God says, I'm going to extend the day. And he stops the entire universe in its tracks. He stops the rotation of the world so that the sun can stand still and somehow manages to keep gravity, which is dependent on the rotation of the earth. So he one law and keeps all the other laws. That God, that God, you want more of that God? I don't think you do. You want more like that God, the God who can do that for Joshua, the God, the God who can say to a group of people when he hears bad news, Jesus, your, your friend Lazarus is dead. And he goes, he said he's sick. He said, Lazarus is sick. They need you to come. And he goes, nah, I got to wait three more days. But God, he's going to die. It doesn't matter. But God, he's, but they're hurting. It doesn't matter. I, I hurt with them. I'm feeling it too, but I got to wait. I'm, I'm hurting too, but I, I got to wait. I want to go too, but I got to wait. God, you got to come now. Okay, now we'll come. He gets met, and he walks in. Now think about this, because that's incredible. It's incredible. But then he gets there, and Lazarus has already started to smell. To, he's gone, gone. This is not, this is not, this is not, oh, well, maybe Lazarus had narcolepsy and he was still asleep. This is, he's gone. He smells. And he doesn't go in. He doesn't touch him. He doesn't perform CPR. He doesn't make a concoction. He doesn't spit on the mud. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of the other things he's done that are like bigger efforts for smaller ailments. 
He just says, Lazarus, come here, boy. And he gets out of the grave. That You want more of that, God? I want more of that, God. There's a story where the Philistines have captured the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's glory and, and representation to his people in the Old Testament. And they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it to the city of Ashdod where there's a temple to this God they worship named Dagon. And they take a box like the size of one of these speakers. That's it's not much bigger, honestly. They take, a, they take a box called the Ark of the Covenant and lay it on the temple floor in front of Dagon. And they say, hey, Dagon, we did this for you, dog. And they leave and they go home. And they come back the next morning. Now, this is a statue that they've put the, the Ark of the Covenant in front of. And the statue, um, historians tell us, in, the, in that temple was made out of granite, carved from a hillside, two stories tall, 20 plus feet of granite made in their image. Top of him was a man, the bottom of him was a fish. And he's, a, he's maybe like the, the most worshiped God in that region. And they've got the glory of God, the presence of God, the representation of God in a box in front of this giant statue, they come back the next morning and the statue is laying face down. Face down. Uh, you want that God? That God that if you get his glory in your life will make everything crumble? That, that God that will make everything lay down? You, you, I'm not sure. Because because the next day they come in and it's down and they, they have to get ropes and pulleys and rig up contraptions and hoist up Hoist up this statue, multiple men carrying thousands and thousands of pounds of granite, and they pick up the statue and they set it back up. And I look at our lives and go, how many times, how many times has God dealt with something and I rigged up contraptions? And I rigged up ropes, and I got pulleys, and I got some people around me, and I went to town. I need to switch out. All right. And what happens, hey, all right, well, I sound like a preacher now. But he goes into the temple, and they've got all this stuff. And every time I look at that scene, and I look at my life, and I go, man, how many times have I rigged up contraptions to set strongholds back up when God has knocked them down? How, how many times in my life have I gone around the same track, dealt with the same thing, and went, my God, why am I doing this again? Why do I have to keep fighting this same issue? And he's going, if you quit setting up the pulleys. So God finally gets a little tired of their game, and the next day they come in, and the statue's back on the ground again. And you know, they walked in, and they saw his feet. They were like, oh, God, again? And then they got closer inspection, and the head was broken off, and the hands were broken off. And the statue's laying there. Man, what a message. You guys might not get it because we don't talk about it a lot. Um, but this is what it means. See, God says the head is the symbol of authority. It's where all authority rests. And God says, listen, <laughs> I'm trying to change your perspective of me. So you think, you think, you think, you think, you think that things are small where I exist. And I'm not actually small. See, the only way that you think 
I'm small is because I'm far from you. I, I, when people say, man, I just, I've been, I'm close to God and I'm struggling with this thing. And I, but, I, but I really feel like, you know, I'm in a place where my spiritual life feels great. It's like better than it's ever before, but I'm struggling with all these things. And I'm like, you're a liar. Because you can't be close to God and think he's small. You just can't. And God says, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that I'm not small. I'm going to sever the granite. I'm going to break off the authority. The hands traditionally are the, the places where you serve. And God is telling the entire Philistine people, like, think about this. Because they took the Ark of the Covenant and they sent it away because it scared them so bad. And God broke them out in sores. It was this whole thing. They got rid of it as quick as they could. But God is giving them, in my mind, an opportunity to repent. What, if, what would have happened? It would be like a Philistine revival. If they would have came in and said, he's bigger than, he's bigger than Dagon? He's, he, he dropped Dagon on his face. You know, we'll worship no one but this God. Do you know the blessing that would have come to all the Philistines? Matter of fact, they sent the, the, the ark away and they ended up at a stranger's place, Obed-Edom, and his whole house flourished. His daughters got prettier, his wife got nicer, everything got better for Obed-Edom. His crops grew up faster. His horses had seven babies. Like, I don't know if that's seven. That's a lot. But the Bible says that he was blessed in every way. What would have happened if when God had taken down the thing that was their stronghold, they had put their trust in God? Because God is a big fan of taking people and grafting them into his promise. That's how you and all of us got here. God wants to fix your perspective. This is the, we'll, we're going to close this way because I want to give you guys an illustration. When things are actually small, what do, you, what do you use to look at them? A microscope, right? When it's atomic, you, you look at it through a microscope. When it's little, you use a microscope. When things are far away from you, what do you use? A telescope. A telescope. Now, if I want to go outside and look at the stars at night and I use a microscope, how effective is that? I would challenge you, and this is where I think preachers sometimes get a little crazy, is that we come in and we start trying to do an altar call in these moments. We want to worship and we want to do these things. And we get into these moments, start picking apart lives with a microscope. My hope today is that the, the, the word has been a lens that you see through more like a telescope, that it takes a God that's far from you and brings him so radically close that you can see the rings, that you can see the, the craters, that you could, you could explore uncharted territories with God. Like That's my prayer today. But we're going we're gonna to do it like this. You guys ever been to the optometrist and he puts that funky thing on your face? You're like, well, help me out here. That thing on your face, right? And what does he say? They're here. It's better here. And, he, and all he's doing is flipping. Is it better here or here? Is it, better, is it better here or is it better here? And the decision is you. Listen, if you don't answer correctly, you will walk out with bad glasses. If you don't pay attention to the question, you will be just as blind leaving as you came in. And you'll have corrective things on. And you'll look the part, and you still won't be able to see. And if we don't do that in this moment at this church, you'll leave just as blind as you walked in. 
You'll have, you'll have worshipped and you'll have done the corrective procedure, but if you don't answer the right questions, you will leave blind. So is it better here where God is small, where you live and struggle, where you think your enemy is big, and you blame him for everything, and you don't see yourself correctly, where you don't have a vision for your life, where you are in the crowd, not set apart, not holy before the Lord, where you are, you blend in. You might not even blend in. You might, you might be so part of the crowd that you get lost in the crowd. You're not hard to see. You're impossible. You might feel impossible to see. And you're saying, Lord, Lord, if you could just find me, if you could just see me. And that doesn't, that's not bad. That's not bad. We had a revival at our church uh, six months, maybe a year ago, something like that. It was a while back. And the whole time we're in revival, I've been going through this emotional transition trying to figure out if God still called me into ministry, if God still has that for me in my life. And I'm, and I'm begging God every night. Listen, every night I was begging God, let one of these pastors say something to me. We had altar ministry every night, and I played keys, and the whole time, I'm, I'm, I'm playing keys, but I'm watching the guy preaching, and I'm like, just give, let him catch eyes with me and know I need this, Lord. And I'm, and I'm you, you nobody, but just me, okay. I've been in a position where I'm begging God, just see me. Just see me, God. Just see me. God, if you'll just see me. And no one saw me all week long. No one saw me all week long. And I went and I asked God, I said, God, why? God, why didn't you find me? He said, I knew exactly where you were. I was passing through. I was looking in the trees. You weren't positioned to be seen. You wanted, you wanted me to wade into the crowd and scoop you up, but I've already told you to get out of the crowd, son. If your perspective is that you're always part of the crowd, you can't wonder why God doesn't see you. You've intentionally put yourself in a position to be covered up. God, we want right now to be out of the crowd. We, want, we don't want a church like everybody else's church. We don't want to be believers like everybody else's believers. God's dumb. We want to be positioned in a place where we can be seen and called. We want to hear our names on the lips of our Savior. We want to hear Jesus say, I must come to your house. God, we want to respond. We want to respond with repentance. And I'll give you everything and nothing less. God, everything is yours. I'll pay back four times. If, 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 my, if my iniquity has indebted me, I will pay back. Because you called my name. 
God, I speak over this people and I say they no longer serve an enemy that is just a mouse with a microphone. That God, you would make the truth so evident that he wouldn't even have a lie that would stand. God, that you would make, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The cry of our heart. So we get enough of your word in our heart, a lie cannot pierce. God, make us hungry for the word. And God, help us see you as you are. <laughs> help us tremble in your presence. Let gratitude for your grace overflow and cover all our guilt. God, let your presence cause confession like Isaiah. Let your grace bring us cleansing from the altar with your word. And then, God, let our gratitude position us to be commissioned and send us out. Fix our vision today, God. Spiritual LASIK. I don't want to come in and answer a bunch of questions and leave blind. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to do it when it's not necessary. God, the voice right now that says there's not a response is a liar. We silence the enemy. We call him a liar to his face. We expose him that this word was not for you. That's a lie. That the response of gratitude in your heart that God is telling you to do right now isn't really from him. That's a lie. That whatever he's calling you to do right now, when the enemy would say, mm, no, that word is, is we, 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 we stand as spiritual scarecrows rebuking the birds that would want to eat that word. We just call him a liar to his face because what's he going to do about it? <laughs> powerless, powerless pauper. We saw you fall like lightning. Dismissing you is just as fast. God, we respond to you out of the gratitude of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going we're gonna to go back into a time of worship. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.